Hallelujah this morning because there is no other name like the name of our Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah this morning because Jesus is alive. Amen. Hallelujah this morning because he doesn't hang on a cross anymore. Hallelujah this morning that we serve a God, not a statue. We, learn, we serve a living person. There's no other name like the name of Jesus. So, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. My kids begged me to say that to you because it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> they were like, Dad, please just say Merry Christmas because it's April Fool's Day. And today I want to talk to you about maybe the biggest prank that's ever happened that this world has ever seen. Jesus was like, hey, I'm dead. April Fool's. I'm alive. There's another prank that he kind of pulled off that I want to talk to you about this morning. And uh, this morning we begin a new series called, What If It's True? What If It's True? And we'll be talking about the resurrection and, and we're going to be talking about the crucifixion, and we'll be talking about creation, and we'll be talking about our soon coming king. And maybe you don't believe in any of this stuff that Christians believe in, but this is an important question that you've got to ask yourself, what if it's true? I mean, at the end of the day, what if all of this is true? I know there might be some people here who are skeptics, and uh, I love that Tim said, hey, maybe you came here because a relative brought you here. And there were people who were like, yeah, that's me. Maybe you're a skeptic here this morning. And, and maybe you had some really terrible experiences when you were a kid in church. And, and maybe you got burned by the church. And, and maybe you have some doubts and you have some questions about the evidence. Like, I mean, what, what is the evidence anyways? And so it's our prayer this morning that you would be challenged enough to consider becoming a Jesus follower. Because if this man named Jesus is who he says he is, if he, if he really died for me and if he really died for you, if he really did rise again from the dead, then there holds some implications for your life. Enough for you to at least consider becoming a Jesus follower this morning. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the events that just followed the crucifixion of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 13 onwards. Luke 24, 13. And if you don't have a Bible, <clears throat> um, you can come find me after the service. I would love to give you one. And uh, you can look up on the screen and follow along. Let me just tell you what's happening here. This is a little bit of background uh, of the story. Jesus was, was up in the northern part of Israel in, in a place called Galilee. And um, he begins to, you know, he does some miracles and some great things up in Galilee. And then he makes his way down to Jerusalem. And all the while, he's inviting all these people to come and follow him. And so his, his followers, they're, they're full of hope, and they expected that this Jesus was going to be their king, right? They had this hope that 
this Jesus would make the people of Israel prosperous again. They hoped that Jesus would come in and get rid of, of their enemies. They, they, he would, they were all hoping that Jesus was going to get rid of the Roman rulers. After all, this Jesus was supposed to be their Messiah. And so Jesus now comes into Jerusalem, and, and there he is, and he's riding in on a donkey, and the people, they're so excited, and they're so hopeful, and they're so expectant that Jesus would get rid of their enemies, and all of a sudden, everything changes on that Friday afternoon, and the Son of God hung lifeless on that cross. And, and now all of those people who were following Jesus, they have their hopes dashed, Right? All of their expectations of who Jesus really is, all of those expectations are ruined. And, and now after the death of Jesus, we find the disciples, and they're full of doubt, and they're full of questions, and they're full of confusion, and they all scatter in fear. But early on that Sunday morning, there's some women who went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away, and they went in, and they didn't find the body of Jesus. And meanwhile, on that same morning, there's two of Jesus' followers who they probably lost some hope, they lost their faith, and, and now they just, they left Jerusalem, and they're heading towards home to a place called Emmaus, and this is where we pick up the story in verse 13. Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus goes on to say, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they, they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, and they did not see Jesus. So here's a few guys who... They decide they're just going to walk away from everything, right? I mean, they're, they're pretty, they're just disappointed in Jesus. And, and I wonder if they had some doubts about the claims that were being made, that were being made about a resurrected Jesus. I mean, maybe, maybe this was a hoax, right? Maybe this is one of the biggest April Fool's prank ever, is what they're thinking. Maybe someone was trying to create a legend, out of Jesus. Maybe somebody stole the body, and they probably decided that the best thing for, for us to do right now is just to go back to our old lives. Let's just go back to the, to the way that things were. Let's, let's just go home. And you know, I'm sure there are some people here 
this morning who you have your doubts about who Jesus really is. I mean, did he, did he really rise from the dead? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Or, or what if this whole thing is a joke? What if it's a hoax? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're a little disappointed with Jesus. Right? I mean, you prayed for this and you didn't get it. And, and you asked him for this and, and he didn't intervene. And Jesus just didn't meet your expectations. You know, a few years ago, there, there was a few of us who had the opportunity to visit what's, uh, what's believed to be the location of the empty tomb. And as we got to walk where Jesus walked, and as we got to see the, the site of the crucifixion and this empty tomb, I remember Smitha saying to me, she said, man, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that so many of us believe in a resurrected Jesus without even thinking about the evidence. And so this morning, I want to assure you that the spirit of Jesus didn't just go to heaven leaving his body in the tomb. And this isn't some kind of conspiracy that's created by his followers. And the gospel writers themselves, they weren't making up some kind of fairy tale. But the actual physical body of Jesus was resurrected and is no longer in the tomb. And, and you might be thinking, but this thing, that, that idea is so crazy. I mean, I mean, that's an outlandish statement to think about. I mean, where, where is the evidence? I want to ask you this morning, what if it's true? What does it mean for you if that's true? Here's the thing. If you begin to look at historical writings that are, that are outside of Scripture, outside of the Bible, everybody in the ancient world agreed that tomb was empty. So how did it get empty? You know, Rome was tired of dealing with this man named Jesus. And they were tired of putting up with all the controversies that followed him. And so they had to set up these guards to to, to be sure that nobody was going to steal that body. And so, that we, so now we know that Rome has nothing to do with that empty tomb because they needed Jesus to be dead. So you start thinking and you start thinking maybe about those Jewish authorities and maybe they have something to do with the empty tomb. I mean, did they do something to Jesus' body? And that doesn't even make sense because they're the ones that made sure he was executed in the first place. They needed Jesus to stay dead. If Jesus would just stay dead for them, they can kill the whole Jesus movement. Because what they were planning to do and what they were thinking to do was they would take that dead body and parade it all around Jerusalem to say, this man was never who he said he was. You know, the interesting thing is that even Jesus' enemies, they admit that the tomb is empty. His enemies never refuted the fact that there was an empty tomb. Instead, they were trying to create stories as to why that tomb was empty. And so 
when they hear that the tomb is empty, these Jewish leaders, they make up some stories that maybe it was the disciples who must have stolen the body. But the disciples would never even think about doing that. It just doesn't even make sense. Because the disciples run the risk of being tortured to death. And probably more than that, if there's anything we know about these guys, it's that on their own, they're too cowardly to do anything like that. Therefore, the disciples have nothing to do with this empty tomb. So what about the gospel writers? I mean, the guys who actually wrote the account of the resurrection in Scripture, I mean, are they, are they really credible? Can we really trust them? How do we know that these guys aren't just making up some kind of a story? And maybe you've asked yourself those questions in the past. I mean, maybe some of your friends have asked this question or made that statement. I mean, how can you trust the gospel writers? Maybe your professors in school question the validity of the truth that's written in the gospel. And there's a problem with all of that. And the first problem is that the gospel writers were very accurate in what they wrote through history. If the gospel writers are making up a story, there's one major component that all of the gospel writers include that just doesn't add up. These writers all report that it was women who found that tomb empty. You ever wonder why women found the tomb empty? I mean, why were women the first eyewitnesses of that empty tomb? I mean, you have this society, this culture that's so male-dominated and so chauvinistic. Why did all of the gospel writers report that it was women who found that tomb empty? You know, in the first century Jewish and Roman culture, the testimony of women wasn't even considered reliable. Women weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law because their word wasn't trustworthy. I'm not saying that. That's... <laughs> and so, so if the writers of the New Testament were just making things up, and if they really wanted people to buy into their story, they never would have included the fact that women found the tomb empty unless women found the tomb empty. If the writers of the New Testament are making up this story, women being the first eyewitnesses would have hurt their case. See, if they made up this story, they would have had Peter finding that empty tomb or John finding that empty tomb. Some man would have discovered that empty tomb. The story would have had a man being the hero finding that empty tomb. And so if you were making up the story, you would, you would never include details that would embarrass or discredit what you're saying unless those were the events that actually happened. So this morning, I want to tell you that the gospel writers didn't just make this up. They're just simply reporting the truth. Today, you may not be a Jesus follower, and maybe you have some doubts about the resurrection. 
And maybe you have some doubts about the empty tomb, but I want to tell you that there is enough compelling evidence that proves that that tomb was empty. Not because of a hoax and not because someone was stealing the body of Jesus, not because the gospel writers were making up a story or a legend, but because Jesus physically rose from the dead and he is alive and well. Here are these two travelers and they had lost all hope in Jesus. Things didn't turn out the way that they wanted. And they begin walking home and here's Jesus and he appears to them and they didn't recognize him. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, well, how foolish are you? Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in, and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, did we just get punked by Jesus? <laughs> well, that's not what they said. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Here are two people who, even though they've seen some miracles from Jesus and even though they've heard that Jesus is alive, I mean, they're full of disappointment and they're full of questions and they've lost all hope and They've lost all faith, and so they begin their journey back to their old village and back to their old life. I want to ask you this morning, are any of you disappointed with Jesus? I mean, maybe you're here today, and you just have a lot of questions. Maybe questions about some of the things that you're facing in your life. Maybe, some of, maybe, maybe you have these questions about some of the things that you've had to go through in your life, and it's been quite a while since you've hoped for anything. You know, our two travelers, they begin speaking with these strangers, and Jesus prevented them from recognizing him, and they say, they say that this Jesus was a prophet. He was powerful in word. He was powerful indeed before God and all the people. You know, they kept using this phrase, he was. You see, they were referring to Jesus in the past. They were referring to Jesus in the past tense because at this moment in their life, Jesus was not relevant. Jesus was no longer relevant to their present situation. And maybe you're here today and Jesus was just a past reality for you. Maybe your parents took you to Sunday school when you were a kid, or maybe you grew up in the church, or maybe you went to some kid's camp, and 
Maybe at some point in your life you were introduced to Jesus, but, but somewhere along the road you, you prayed and you asked God for something, right? You asked God for some healing or you needed some kind of intervention in your marriage or you needed some help with that serious financial problem and, and man, you just you never got those answers. And, and now you're just you're disappointed with Jesus. And maybe you've lost all hope and you've lost all faith. Or for whatever reason, at this point in your life, it seems that Jesus is not a present reality for you. And if that's you today, I want to tell you that this is a story that brings us some great hope, isn't it? Because the fact is that just because these two followers didn't recognize Jesus, it didn't mean that he wasn't there. It didn't mean that Jesus was absent from their needs. It didn't mean that Jesus didn't care about their sorrow and their pain. It didn't mean that Jesus wasn't concerned about their feelings of loneliness. It didn't mean that he wasn't concerned about the questions that they had. And this morning... Just because you can't see him and just because right now you don't recognize him in your situation, I want to tell you today, it doesn't mean that he isn't there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about you. It doesn't mean that he's not concerned about the things that are going on in your life right now. It doesn't mean that he's not concerned about the questions that you might have because of the stuff that's going on with you right now. It doesn't mean that he isn't concerned about the feelings of loneliness that you may be feeling this morning. But I want you to know that Jesus is right there with you. And sometimes he is that unseen stranger who's just walking alongside of you and he's listening for you and he is working and he is moving behind the scenes, and he is concerned about all the things that you're dealing with in your life right now, and he just wants you to talk to him about it. So do you recognize him walking alongside of you? Do you, do you recognize Jesus walking alongside of you in your pain? Do you recognize him walking alongside of you in your sorrow? Do you recognize him walking alongside of you in your grief? Do you recognize him walking alongside of you in the middle of your marriage problems? Do you recognize him walking alongside of you in the midst of that immigration issue? Do you recognize Jesus walking alongside of you when things are going great in your life? I mean, do you recognize him? Let me remind you that God's ways are they're not always obvious to us. I don't always understand why we go through pain. And I don't always understand why we go through heartache and hardship. I don't always understand why our prayers always aren't answered the way we expect. But I do want to encourage you this morning, just as these two travelers did, begin to have a conversation with Jesus. Be open about your situations with him. Tell him about your hurts and tell him about your pains. Tell him about your heartaches. Talk to him about the questions that you might have. 
And if you can do that sincerely, when the time is right, He will reveal Himself to you. And He will prove Himself to be your sustainer. And He will prove Himself to be your shelter. And He will prove Himself to be your healer. And He will prove Himself to be your provider. And He will prove Himself to be your protector. And He will prove Himself to be your friend. I'm going to ask Tim and, uh, and George if you guys would come up this morning. You know, the last thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is about this meal that we read about at the end of the section of Scripture. You'll remember earlier in the Scripture, Luke tells us that their eyes were prevented from recognizing Jesus. And so these two friends, they don't, they don't even know that this stranger is, is Jesus himself. But these two followers, they're so encouraged Jesus. They're so encouraged by this stranger that they invited this stranger to stay the night. And Jesus accepts the offer and he breaks bread with them. There are some people here this morning and you're struggling for some answers in your life. I mean, God, why did this happen to me? I mean, why did this setback happen to me? Some of you are here this morning and and you're just struggling for peace in your life. I mean, there is no peace in your home, or maybe there's just no peace in your heart. There are some of you here this morning, and you're struggling for meaning and purpose and fulfillment in your life, and we believe that God has designed us in such a way that, that we would seek purpose, and we would seek fulfillment, and we would seek meaning, but many of us have come up short in how we're searching for those things. So today and this morning, I ask you, have you considered, have you considered inviting Jesus into your life? I mean, have you considered becoming a Jesus follower? I mean, these two travelers were confronted by Jesus and they invited him into their home and they invited Jesus to be a part of their lives. And when they did that, their eyes were opened and Jesus became this present reality for them. And today I believe that you have been confronted by Jesus this morning. You have been confronted by Jesus through our time of singing, through our time of worship. You have been confronted by Jesus in our time of prayer, and now, even in my talk, Jesus has confronted you. And I will tell you this morning that if you invite Jesus into your life, He will give you the peace that you are longing for. And He will give you the strength that some of you need this morning and He will bring to you purpose and meaning to your life. And He will give you a brand new, fresh start. And like these two on the road to Emmaus, you will never be alone again. Because Jesus is working and He is moving behind the scenes. And He is trying to get your attention and he is trying to reveal himself to you. He hasn't left you. I want you to know that he never will. 
and, and he will be here all along if you're willing to talk to him. You're willing to seek him. His promise is that if you seek him, you will find him. You know, Jesus, he deeply longs for all of us to walk with him. He wants us to be in a close relationship with him. He longs for each of us to be close so that he can reveal himself to us. Maybe this morning you're asking yourself, what does the empty tomb really have to do with my present reality? I mean, great, the tomb was empty, so what? I mean, it's not enough to be convinced by historical evidence that the tomb was empty. But this morning, you were introduced to a number of people who were on a path. And Jesus became a present reality who totally transformed their lives. There are people in this room who were on a path of destruction, but when Jesus came into their hearts and when Jesus came into their lives, everything changed. You are sitting amongst former drug addicts. You are sitting amongst former drug dealers, but because of Jesus in their lives, they no longer deal. And they no longer use. Now they may have some cravings, but with the help of Jesus in their lives, they don't use anymore. We've had leaders in this church who were ex-cons, who were in jail, but because of Jesus in their lives, are no longer on a path of destruction, and they have healthy lives with healthy families, and they have life in abundance. Because of Jesus, I have seen marriages being reconciled. Because of Jesus, I have seen healings happen that science and doctors cannot explain. All because someone invited Jesus into their heart and into their lives. This morning, for those of you who know this Jesus, and you've asked him into your heart and into your life, what are you doing about the knowledge of the resurrected one? Are you living as though he is alive and well inside of you? At the end of this story, the two travelers, they, they ran back and they told everyone they could about their experience with Jesus. For those of you who are Jesus followers, I want to tell you there is a lost, hurt, and dying world who's waiting to hear the truth of what Jesus has done in your life. They are waiting to hear the truth that Jesus is someone who can set them free. They are waiting to hear that Jesus can save them and heal them and deliver them. And for those of you who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, would you consider inviting him into your heart this morning? Would you consider inviting him into your lives this morning? He just wants to pour out his peace on you. His goal is that you would experience his love everlasting. Some of you have never known that before. 
so this morning, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward at this time. Prayer team, would you make yourself available here at the altar? This morning, you might be still a skeptic, and you might still be a seeker, and I challenge you to pursue the truth about Jesus, because there is a lot riding on this verdict. If Jesus really is the Son of God, then your eternity hinges on how you respond to him. I want you to know that if Jesus rose again, it means that everything that he said about himself was true, which means that he loves you with an everlasting love. And it means that he paid the penalty for all of the wrong things that you and I have ever done. And it means that he offers complete forgiveness and an open door to be with him for all of eternity. So right now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, no matter where you are as a Jesus follower, we're going to talk to the Lord Jesus this morning. 